love this uh, series. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it or not. This is called The Chosen. It's the first multi-season, multi-episode series that's ever been done on the life of Jesus. And it's really interesting to be able to see the personalities and uh, uh, of the disciples unpacked and, and getting to see the stories unfold uh, of how they followed him. And so I love, love being able to see that. But I'm, I'm, I'm super interested in that particular scene because I'm, I feel fascinated with the idea of calling and in this moment, and I wish I could have shown more. I was started to be like, hey, we're at church. Let's just show an episode of The Chosen. That'll be good. We'll call it good. We'll pray and be out of here. But, um, but I, I, we did this. Uh, I, I did this scene just because uh, you get to see Jesus calling Peter to follow him. And I'm, I, I remember those, those first times where the Lord gripped me. I, I, I'm so thankful to have been able to grow up in a, in a godly Christian home. And so I, I was six years old. I'm at a, a, a cool event, a kids ministry event. There's a puppet show going on. And all I remember is there was a puppet that was going to be with Jesus forever. And there was a puppet that was not going to be with Jesus forever. I don't remember if they used the word hell, but I'm like, I am not burning with that puppet. And so I'm ready to go after Jesus. And so I feel, one, I just, let me just say this. Thank you, Jesus, for those who minister to kids. Can we say thank you to people that minister to kids? It is a big deal. My life was transformed at that moment, but it was really a few years down the road. I was 13, 14, 15. I remember being 15 years old. I was going to youth camp, and it was almost that traditional thing if you got to grow up in church where you had this chance to go, and you were responding to the gospel and, and getting saved, and then they had this call, and they said, hey, how, there are some of you that are called into vocational ministry, called to be in the ministry, to be pastors and preachers and teachers, and I just remember, I'm 15, and I'm just going... There's nothing else I can do with my, I gotta do this. I gotta I got do this. I have this call in my life to preach the gospel. I'm here, I'm 44 now. It's been a long time and I'm still doing this thing because I, I, I believe in this call that was so much further beyond what I thought I could even do with my life or what my life would even be worth. I wanted to step into something bigger. And so I'm fascinated about these stories and these pictures of calling because it wasn't just the 12 disciples, but there were so many people that Jesus would minister to and he would call them into new life. He would call them to step into things that they thought were not even possible, whether it was physically, literally standing up for the first time ever, or whether it was leaving a life of brokenness and being able to walk. It was beyond their ability, but God called them into it. And we'll see over and over and over the different things that Jesus called them into, and he calls us into. A, I love it. In Matthew 4, that, that very picture we just got to see in the video, Matthew chapter 4, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men said that, Jesus said that to his followers. He said, in Acts chapter one, he actually said, listen, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He actually said that. He said this in John 14 to his followers, and he actually says it to us, John 14, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Jesus actually said these things. These were words that came out of his mouth, but we're doing this series on things that Jesus never said, and I want to give clarity to something Jesus did not say, because when he looked at his disciples and when he looked at his followers, he never said, I'll never give you anything more than you can handle. He never uttered that phrase, I'm never going to give you. God will never, Jesus never said, I'm never going to give you more than you can handle. 
Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I, I, can, I, I, would, I would be the first to incriminate myself. I believe I've, I've said that about God, that God, God will never give you more than you can handle. You've either, you've either said that or you've probably had a well-meaning friend or a grandma who was seeing that you were going through a really hard time and they look you in the eyes with su- this super well-meaning heart and want to encourage you and say, I promise you, God's never gonna give you more than you can handle just trying to bring you through. But the problem is, it's nowhere in the Bible. Jesus never actually said that. It's not anywhere in the word of God. In fact, what is in the word of God, I think you can make a case that part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, is to say and to be able to acknowledge that I'm being called into a life of things that I cannot do on my own. Without question, this is the life that every one of us are being called into. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I want everybody to have a Bible. You should uh, have one. Hopefully uh, you brought one with you. If not, there's one under the chair in front of you. Go ahead and grab a Bible so that everyone can see and investigate the word of God for themselves as we go into this together. You guys that are at home, I want to encourage you, go ahead and grab a Bible and get it out so you can look at this for yourself. Matthew chapter 10. I want to go back into this idea of Jesus talking with his disciples. And he's going to call them into something that's so much further beyond anything that they could imagine about themselves, certainly in the, co- in the course of the call of their ministry. And so in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, Jesus says this. So the 12, 12 Jesus sent out and he instructed them, go nowhere among the Gentiles. And enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So this is what he's saying. I want you to stay among this people for now, because he knows it's going to go out from there. Verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here's what I want you to do. Heal the sick and 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 raise the the dead and cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. You can skip down to verse 16. Behold... I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents. And I want you to be innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they'll deliver you over to the courts. And they're gonna flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. And we'll stop there for a moment. I've often wondered what it felt like for Jesus to call these men and women, these followers of Jesus out. For him to ask them to do things that they thought they could never, ever do. For him to literally say, here's what he, he said. He says, I want you to heal the sick I'm going to ask you, I want you to cleanse the lepers. I want you to cast out demons and I want you to raise people from the dead. I'm calling you to that. I can't imagine what was swimming around in their mind. If Jesus were here in this moment, and I believe he is by his Holy Spirit in speaking these words to each one of us, I think we might tend to feel a little overwhelmed. Like, really? Are you really asking? Are you calling? I don't know how I'm going to do that. This is so much further beyond anything I could do on my own. And, and he says this, and oh, by the way, when you do this, you're going to be completely misunderstood. You're going to be dragged before courts and governors. 
people aren't going to be celebrating all this amazing stuff that's happening. They're going to misunderstand. They're going to be frustrated. They're going to pull you in. You're going to be arrested. And so when that happens, I don't want you to be anxious about what you're going to say. The disciples were being called into so much more than what they thought they could handle. In fact, we actually have a, a text, if you go a few chapters down, and we won't go into all of it, but in Matthew 17, there's a moment they've gone out and they're doing the ministry, and there's a little boy who's had a demon in him from, uh, from the get-go of his life that would throw him into a fire, and they've tried, the disciples have tried to cast this demon out, and they can't do it. Doesn't get talked about very much, but there's this moment where the disciples have tried to step out into what God called them to, and it wasn't working. And the father's begging Jesus to come in and Jesus comes in and casts the demon out. And you feel these moments where the disciples will all step out, but they'll fall short. And I have to wonder on the parts of scripture that aren't recorded, how many times the disciples went out and they prayed for a leper and the leprosy stayed. Or they stepped out to cast out the demon or raise the dead and it didn't totally happen. And they, I can imagine the frustration that they might've felt and maybe even the embarrassment or even the shame that often comes when we fall short. And yet Jesus is continuing on this journey, calling them to continue to trust him, to step out into something that is so much further beyond their faith. And that's what was happening in that moment. That's what Jesus's conversation is with them is that I'm calling you into more faith to continue to believe for more when I ask you to do these things. And we see this actually going all the way back to the very beginning of our faith that God has been asking us to do more than we could handle from the get-go. You can go all the way back to Moses. God looks at Moses and says, I want you to deliver my people from the most powerful man on the planet. Exodus chapter three, come, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that, you should, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt. Moses going, this is more than what I am capable of. Chapter four, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God knew exactly what the limitations were with Moses. He wasn't looking at Moses going like, I think you might be a good candidate for this. I think he was going, you're the worst candidate, so I want you. I think that was the idea. I think, in fact, that's the idea of our faith, church, is you're not the ideal candidate, you're perfect. Come on, let's do this. This is what he says to David back in 1 Samuel. I want you to think about this. And the calling of David to be the king of Israel. Samuel, you know, Saul has lost his connection with the Holy Spirit because he's continually disobeyed. And then 1 Samuel 16, verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, hey, are these all your sons? All these sons have been paraded in front of Samuel the prophet. He's looking at all of them. They all look great, strapping young lads. And he says, no, there's one more. There remains yet my youngest, but behold, he's keeping sheep, meaning I didn't even think much of him to even bring him here because he's a kid. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, 
arise, anoint him for this is he. David's 13 years old. 13. I got a call on your life that's bigger than you. I'm not interested in age or maturity or any of those things. I'm speaking to you. And I'm calling you into more. We were having this conversation with our kids at dinner last night. I won't be able to talk about it, so I'll keep it brief. But we were talking just through these, having this conversation at dinner last night, just going, hey, whatever you think you can do and can't do, let me tell you, Jesus has more. Just keep stepping in. Keep trusting. We had that same, the very conversation with our family last night. God's been actively calling every one of us into more things than we could handle, leading us into places in life that we go, I don't know how I'm gonna be able to make it through this. Church, that's the point. And so I have to ask the question, if God never promises to give us more than we could handle, then what is the promise over our lives? What is the promise? And here's the promise. Wherever you are weak, I am strong. That's the promise. This is the promise for everyone. Doesn't matter what glaring weakness you possess. Guess what? In that arena, in that area, Jesus is strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. Here's what he wants to say to every one of us. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Which translate, I love showing up in weak places. That's what God's looking for. Hands turned up. I can't do this. And God says, that's exactly where I want to be. I'll partner with you. I'll wrap my arms around you. I'll link up with you. I'll lift you up. I'll cover you. I'll go before you. I'll stand behind you and I'll hem you in because that's where I come in weakness. That's where I meet with you. God's power is made perfect in weakness. What we cannot do, God can. And it doesn't matter what the arena is. You need a resurrected marriage, God can. You need a restored relationship with a son or a daughter, God can. Financial provision for a way that where there seems no way, God can. You feel called to affect and change things in ways that feel like they're impossible in the world around you, the good news is not that God won't ask you to do it. The good news is that with God, nothing is impossible. That's what he wants to do. To to look his people in the eyes through his word, by his spirit, and say, come with me. It feels insurmountable, but it's not because nothing is insurmountable with me. He promises to meet us in weakness. That's the promise. Not that he won't call us past it and above it and around it and beyond it, but that he will, in fact, I think he will do those things and he's gonna ask us to lean and need him more than we ever thought possible. That's the call. You can go back to all the texts we just said. Matthew chapter 10. Behold, I'm sending you out of sheep among wolves, so be wise as serpent, innocent as doves. Beware of men that they'll deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, I listen to me. Don't be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. 
The promise is not that you won't be arrested or flogged and brought in. The promise is no matter what you're facing, I'm gonna be right there with you, leading you through it, giving you exact words that you're meant to have and to say, I am with you. Exodus 4, 12, what he says to Moses, now therefore go and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And I love that. Moses coming up with all the excuses. I'm horrible at speech. He's like, he's just like, by the way, he's like everyone else. He's deathly afraid of public speaking. That's everybody. Statistically, people are more afraid to speak on a platform than they are to die. All right. So that's where Moses was. He was like, could you just kill me? I don't know. I don't want to go and have to do the speaking. And God said, listen to me. Don't worry about this. I'm going to be with your mouth. I want the Lord to say that to me someday. I'm not sure if I've heard that yet. I'll be with your mouth and I'll teach you what to speak. That's what he did for that 13-year-old boy, David. It said Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. He didn't anoint him king and then say, hope it works out for you. He anointed him king and said, all right, here we go. And he wrapped him up and he took him. God doesn't want us thinking that he won't ever give us more than we can handle. God wants us knowing that whatever may come in our weakness, God's power is present and perfect. God will call us to more than we believe we're capable of, period. God is going to call us into that. We have, tend to have that thought, Lord, certainly you would not ask me to forgive that person. You could not ask me to forgive them. That's impossible. The Lord will do it. You won't ask, you to, you won't ask me to trust you with my finances on this. Not that. I can't let go of control in this area. He will. You wouldn't ask me to listen to your voice in the middle of the day. That's weird. He will. You wouldn't ask me to trust you for salvation. I can't even see you or prove you. He'll call you to that. This is what the Lord does. The answer to all of those things is, oh, yes, I will. He will. Now, the question is this. Why? Why does God call us? to more than what we could possibly do on our, uh, in and of ourselves. Why does he do that? And the answer is beautiful. It's because God so radically loves us and he wants us to experience the more that he has, not the more that we can produce. And the reason is, is because he loves us. And he knows that this journey that he's inviting us into is so much better than what we could fashion for ourselves. There's a step-up call. In fact, I just say this. If you're going through life and you feel like you got a decent handle on all the things that are in front of you, I just suggest that the Lord is coming for you and to call you into more. If you feel like you've got it all kind of balanced and you feel good there, I, 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 think, I, I think we could say from the evidence of Scripture, just 
Look for the Lord to turn it so that we lean into him to get to the more that he has. Because listen, there's something more rich and more powerful and more life-giving than having our lives under control. And that is for us to be a people who lean into the king of the universe. That's more important than anything else about you. It's more important than you having all your stuff lined up, all the money, all the relationships, all the things, all the plans, all ordered and perfectly in line. What's more important than having all that is to be one who desperately leans on the Lord, to need him, to need him for life. That's what he's leading us towards that divine connection, that divine provision. There's no more important reality in this life to be a people who lean in. In fact, I think the Lord has allowed and led us through many moments, even of those moments of pain, in order to help us feel the need, to see the need. We often feel shame for the need because that's what the enemy says. If you're in this place and you're feeling that shame because you've fallen short in some way, that's the voice of the enemy to bring shame where when the need in us is exposed, what the Lord wants us to do is take that need and worship him with it and say, I need you and lean in. And so we've all, I'd venture to say we've all experienced in some way, form or fashion, pain in our lives that have helped us learn how to lean into the Lord. Not something we asked for, not something we could even control, but something that pulled us to a place of leaning into him. There's a point uh, in the second letter uh, that, that Paul writes to the Corinthian church. And he speaks about these incredible revelations that he has. He gets these supernatural insights and revelation into who God is. And uh, he's at, he says, I'm caught up into the third heaven and he's taken to paradise, and he's shown things that human words literally cannot describe. And it's in that context that he's writing to the Corinthian church about how the Lord led him through that season to keep Paul leaning into Jesus. And I just want to read the text with you together. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Now, it's easy to gloss over. You're just reading through. It's easy to gloss over this text, but I don't want to gloss over it. Paul's experiences had led him toward a propensity toward conceit. He had so such insane revelation of the amazingness of God, such unique that he often found himself puffed up with conceit. And so this thorn was given to him and we don't know what the thorn was. There's been all kinds of debate about it. Don't even think it's actually relevant what it actually was. What we know is this, is that this thorn in his flesh was demonic from Satan sent to harass. But I want you to look at verse eight. Here's what happens. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. I don't know if you've ever pleaded with the Lord, <laughs> but the, the, this is the picture, begging. 
asking, Lord, take this. And the temptation in those moments when you're begging for God to somehow remove or take the pain away, and it doesn't seem to be going away right in that moment as you're asking him for it, the temptation is to believe the lie that God is not there, that he's not listening, that he's not present, that he's not with you. You're asking and begging, but is that true? What's the truth? Here's the truth, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, that's a beautiful coffee mug scripture. It works well in and of itself, but it's coming off the heels of Paul not fully being able to get relief from a painful, the painful thing that he was walking through. And the promise is that you won't ever have to face something like that that you can't handle. The promise is that he's there no matter what. Because look at what Paul says for, because of that promise. Here's what he says. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He, uh, I want you to see, he took what was the Lord's strength and it became his. It wasn't just an ethereal, cute Christian thought out there. What he did is he actually received the power of God for himself and said, where I'm weak, now I am strong because this is who God's made me. And that's, that's in a pretty significant list there. Just if, if you want to look at that list again, you can throw that back up. Verse 10, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. This is what the Lord wants to do is to build a people who are so anchored in the reality of who Jesus is. Doesn't matter what may come, we believe in his goodness and power to walk through. We may not always understand some of the circumstances that we walk through because they are often painful, but the Lord is leading us to be a people who lean into him. We have a, 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 an incredible, precious family in our church, Scott and Tracy Landon. If you, you don't know them, I would want to encourage you to get to know them. Tracy has an amazing story, and I just, I asked her to share her story of what she walked through many years ago and how the Lord brought her through. Would you guys point your attention to the screen? I'm Tracy Landon and I'm married to Scott Landon and we've been to New River for about two years and we are coming up on our third wedding anniversary. But uh, a long, a lifetime ago now it seems, um, I met a sweet boy in college and we got married the day after college graduation. And so in, 2008, Brian, he was working for a company, managing a territory, and to make that work for our family, he would fly back and forth to the places he needed to get to. He was an experienced pilot. He had flown since he was a teenager. So um, this was kind of commonplace at this point in our lives. In May of 2008, he was on a fun weekend out of town 
and he and his two friends were heading back home or preparing to head back home. They had taken off from a local airport in Augusta, Georgia. And we still don't quite know the reason why, but shortly after takeoff, the plane uh, took a nosedive and crashed and they were all three killed instantly. That night, on the evening of May 3rd, 2008, I put my youngest daughter to bed with the promise that her dad would certainly come in like he always did and kiss her goodnight before he went to bed. And a few hours later, I would wake her up and gather up her sisters to say he would never come home. First and foremost, the hardest part was explaining the why of it all to my three girls who were then nine, 12, and 15. And uh, watching them struggle, uh, with the grief of losing their dad and knowing that as a mom, I couldn't do anything to make it better. I couldn't take it away. What my, my, what my life looked like no longer existed. I was completely stripped bare and I felt completely exposed. But I think that that was also an opportunity for God to help me become my truest self. It was in that knowing that I was completely broken and without the Lord, the situation was hopeless. There was no way I was gonna get through it well unless I was going to lean in to Him and walk with Him. When that happens in life, it you become suddenly very dialed in to perspective and what's important, and God had my complete attention. I would read the same passages over and over again in Psalms and Isaiah, and I would fall asleep with my Bible open, and it was the only thing that brought me comfort, really. Um, and the other thing I would do for, at least for a while, is I would read everything I could find about heaven because I think I was trying to get as close as I could to where he was. And all I could do was read about it. I always am a little afraid when I speak about this situation or anyone speaks about a tragedy. Um, people have said to me in the past, more than once, you, you're just so strong or you, I just don't know how you handled it, or I just don't know how you did it. And nobody's that strong. When the police show up at your door after bedtime to tell you that there's been an accident, or you get a call from the doctor and you have the worst diagnosis, you're not that strong. And I don't care how strong you think you are, you're not that strong and you're not supposed to be that strong. That's really the whole point. We're not meant to walk that journey alone. And I can remember feeling, I, or I can remember having a, just a really hard time, a dark day, and I was at church. And, um, and I, I swear, if one more person rubbed me on the back, I was just gonna lose it. And um, a good, a good friend, a friend, pulled me aside and just said, just looked me in the eye and said, I just want you to know 
that I strap this on every day with you that I have not forgotten. She didn't know that's what I needed to hear that day, but that is what I needed to hear that day. I was so broken and there was no sufficient self-sufficiency in me. So I just leaned on him and he showed up and he provided and he uh, put people in places. He um, answered my prayers very specifically and very personally during that time. I have examples that I could share that are just too long to go into. I don't throw around the term, it was a God thing really lightly or casually, but he showed up and he showed up for me and he showed up for my family. And that's why we survived. Church, can y'all say thank you? <clears throat> So thankful for Tracy and, and for Scott and that testimony. Nobody asks for these kinds of things. And can I promise you, where the enemy says that, well, these things happen because of this, this, and this, this is the, the, the lies of the enemy are so broken and so dark. But these things happen to call us to be a people that lean into the king. This is the call on our lives as a church, as a people, to say, God, we're going to believe you for more than what we could ask or imagine. To be a church that believes that you can heal and restore and bring life, to lead us through pain and disappointments, things that we feel like we cannot handle, He's there. But he's asking us to accept and receive it by faith. That no matter what we walk through, that we'll be with him. That's the call. We have that call to have that with the Lord. And I just want to be honest. We have that call to do that with each other. To be a people that link arms with each other. In the fall, we'll be starting more in new groups. We call it authentic community here, but I'm going to tell you something. There isn't anything more important to, to be a part of an authentic community that is going to walk with you through that time, through those moments, these places. The Lord's calling us to be a church that does that with each other. That's the call in our lives, to say yes to him by faith and to yet, and say yes to each other. So we're doing a heavy call to be a part of a community here, an authentic community, a group of people that will, can walk with you. We aren't meant to do this alone. I love Tracy's confession. You aren't strong enough. And that's the point. Because we need him and we need each other. I want you guys to stand with me. We're gonna finish out with an opportunity just to worship Jesus and believe him with our words, with our mouth, with our hearts. And so we're just gonna prepare our hearts to actually worship and to be authentic with the Lord in this moment, to say, Lord, I'm gonna trust you that you're bigger than the dark days. The things that I did not ask for, you're bigger. 
The things that I did not see coming, you're bigger. The things I'm feeling called into to step out and take a risk, I believe you're bigger. So help me to say yes. Would you just ask him that? To put a yes in your spirit right now. Uh, in this moment, would you just be honest with the Lord? If you're, if you're in a place right now where you're facing something that feels bigger than you, taller than you, wider, longer, it feels insurmountable, feels dark. Would you just be with the, Would you just be honest with the Lord? Say, Lord, come be my sufficiency right now. I can't do it on my own. Not about my strength. It's about your strength, your power made perfect. Would you lead me? In fact, I just want an opportunity to pray over you. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to ask you to do any of that kind of stuff. But just right where you're at, if you're in a moment or a season where you feel like you're walking through some stuff that seems like it's more than you can handle, I do want to pray. And we're going to pray this morning, then we're going to worship. And if that's you, you're walking through something, maybe it just feels heavy, or maybe the enemies come against you, or the Lord's asking you to step out and take a step of faith into something that feels brand new. Man, if that's you in this moment, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, it's not for anybody else. It's for me as your pastor, want to walk with you. Would you just say, that's me? Just raise your hand up. Say, that's me. Would you just pray with me, pastor? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's all over the place. It's good. You can put your hands down. All right. Now, in the name of the king of the universe, I declare, and we stand on the promises that there is no mountain insurmountable to the king of the universe that he will lift you up. He will go before you. He will stand behind you and lead you. He will whisper his mercies and goodness and grace and kindness over you. That as you walk on this journey, you will be held by him. You'll be given power and might and strength that is not from you, it's from him supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to move you and change you and transform you, to bring you into new life and to allow you to become a minister of the gospel and a declaration of his goodness, a one who testifies to how the Lord has redeemed you and saved you and led you and brought you into everlasting life. And I bless that Lord now in Jesus name. And I thank you for this moment where we can lift our voices to you and declare your goodness. Our heart cry to follow you wherever you may lead. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's worship.